Praise the Lord. Well, great to be able to celebrate. And uh, just today we want to look back. I want to just uh, share a message called The Journey Continues. And uh, I want to look back over the 21 years and uh, just begin to pick up some highlights of things that happened, particularly from uh, just some of the things that you wouldn't know about. There's some of you coming to the church. How many are here today? I see Debbie down the front. Good to see you, Debbie. Debbie was in the front row. She was in the front row. And, her, and, and, uh, and uh, the Galbraith boy, I just lost his name now. Chris Galbraith, two wheelchairs and, and only 10 other people. And, and it defied my faith. And, uh, but last year I got two people out of wheelchairs. And I said, thank you, Lord, I got a victory. But Debbie's been a great person and a great uh, asset to the church. How many, been here, how many here today that were there right at the beginning, that were there almost right at the very start? Come on, just stand up with the ones who were there right at the very beginning. We've still got some 21 years with us. Let's give them a great clap and just appreciate them now. Praise the Lord. Glenda, we didn't see you Friday night, but it's wonderful. We want to, Glenda and uh, Ty, there's all so many people. But I want to focus on what God has done. How many know that God always is a sending God? The heart of God is mission. The heart of God is to send, but he sends people to represent him. And I want to pick up and share with you some of the things. Some of you will know these stories. Some of you may not know them. But, uh, some of them are very funny. Uh, but I want to just uh, pick up from Scripture, first of all, and uh, just... Uh, break the message up. I want to just share how we got to be here, and then I want to share of just on the two decades, highlights of two decades, because we're about to enter, as Joyce said, a page closing, another one cont- uh, opening up. And I want to just talk a little bit about that. Now, let me just read the scripture here in Hebrews chapter 11, in verse 8 and 9 and 10. It talks about Abraham, who's the father of faith, when he was called to go out to a place that he should later receive for an inheritance, he obeyed, he went out, not knowing where he went. For those who like to know where everything's going, Abraham didn't know where he went. By faith he traveled, uh, lived in a land of promise in a strange land, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the ears with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. You know, I want to just share with you some key things on that. Notice these words that come up in there, because the Bible tells us all of us are called to imitate Abraham. Abraham was called. In other words, God spoke to him and said, I have a purpose for your life. Every one of us here, and including this church, as we become a part of this church, God has a call on our life. It's a call to be something. It's a call to do something. It says he, he was called. He obeyed. So when we came here, we had a personal calling from God. And the Lord spoke to us through Scripture. He spoke to us through invitation and then through Scripture. We had a call. We are in this place by call. God sent us here. And uh, the Bible says Abraham obeyed. Obedience is the only evidence that you've really got of your faith. You can say you believe this and believe that, but at the end it's what you do indicates really what you believe. And we believe that God had called us here. We've stayed here. Notice as we see in these verses here, it says, He went not knowing. And uh, the, the, the walk of the church and our walk and the walk of all believers is a walk of adventure and risk. You don't quite know what's out there. Standing here today, 21 years later, I'd never have any idea that I'd be seeing this. And uh, never any idea that we'd have done in the world all the things that we've done in the world. You go not knowing. And there's an aspect in our walk with God, we commit to Him, and we don't quite know where it will lead. How many never realize that God will take you where you went? You just never realize. In fact, if you told you, you would never have come. And you'd never have got on the bus. He says, hey, this is great. Get on the bus. Come with me. I'll take you on a journey. You say, yeah. He says, I know the way. I'll lead you. And you say, yeah, 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 yeah. It's an adventure. You never know what's going to happen. And uh, and notice there it says he dwelt in the land. He made a commitment to the place God called him. And one of the things that's helped us over the years is we have committed our lives. When I was in Danny Verk, I committed my life to be there for life. Some people laugh and they say, oh, it was an effort for you to leave Danny Burke. They don't realize, actually, I was spiritually rooted by the call of God there. And to come up here was to actually hear God and to let go of the attachments and to come here. And we've, over the years, inquired of the Lord, and uh, he's called us to be in this place. Many other opportunities. But you never build anything unless you make a commitment. And commitments take a long time to work out. They're a substantial thing. You commit to your life. But when you do, it's only over a period of time of making that commitment, holding that commitment, you can produce the fruit. You got called us here. I was born in the bay. I've grown up in the bay, had a season out of the bay. And as far as I can see, I'll probably die in the bay unless the Lord comes. Because the God's called us to make a difference in this region. And so no one makes any difference unless you commit to something and someone. 
There's no difference ever made with our commitment. So we made a commitment that no matter what happened, we would abide in the call of God here in this place, which we have done. You notice the next thing says dwelling in tabernacles. Tabernacle is a tent. It's a temporary dwelling. Uh, It speaks to us that uh, in the progress of following the Lord, there's always change. And so one of the things we've realized, you've got to be willing to change. Now, you don't need to know all where you're going. You just need to know the next step. Anyone who knows the next step is a candidate for change. And the unwillingness to change means we've settled and we've remained in yesterday's life, yesterday's move, yesterday's thing God was doing. And we're not embracing and moving on. In the wilderness, when they led them through the wilderness, they continually moved as the Holy Spirit moved them. And so we've committed, like Abraham did, that we would move and we would make changes. I mean, even just, you can see it here, the clothes I'm wearing, I've had to make change. You don't know how hard it was to get rid of a tie. And I was just saying to, I was saying to uh, someone here this morning, I said, you're the only one left with a tie. Said, Hold on. <laughs> Rest of us have caved in. <laughs> We've got to make changes. We've got to be contemporary. We've got to move forward with what God is doing, not just in how we present ourselves, but more importantly, it's the internal way we think and view things. Now, many of you have come into the church in the last five years, have come into years of our labor to grow, learn, and change. And you just came in like that and picked it up just there. Your challenge is to actually take what we've already built and to go much, much further. And to do that, you've got to be willing to change. You can't just take what we've got and say, this is going to last us the rest of our life. We all have to be willing to make changes. And so we see this in the life of Abraham. And so part of what we've done here is we've been always willing to make change. We're still willing to change. In fact, I believe we're now entering the third decade here, and now God is going to lead us through some transitions and changes again. Tell someone it's good. Change is good for you. Then, then say it again and say like this. I know you won't like it, but change is good for you. <laughs> Most people don't like change. We all think it's something someone else ought to do. And uh, you notice it tells us here, it says he dwelt in tents with Isaac and Jacob. And uh, one of the things that that pictures very clearly is that always the work of God is intergenerational. It involves three generations, grandparents, parents, and children. And I'm going to touch on that a little bit later when we look at the new generation God's bringing forth I want you to really understand biblically what that means. But God always, when he's dealing with people, he always reveals himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Three generations. So God never forgets generations. In fact, we are where we are because someone else paid the price. And so we have to look back to the past to honor those who paid the price to bring us where we've got. And then we have to take up the challenge of their faith, their spirit, and move forward to the next season and be willing to actually take, not expend what was given to us, but take it further. And uh, as we'll share with you as we, you see the journey, there's been a price to be where we are. And you've got to be willing now to face the challenge that in the coming decade, you've got to stand up and be counted and be just like the original pioneers, be willing to break out into new areas. And I don't know what all of that will be, but I do know some shifts we have to have in our thinking on the way. And so notice that heirs with him, the heirs with him, the Bible tells very clear there's an inheritance. There are promises we get. Now notice this, it says heirs with him. So Jacob and Isaac had an inheritance that was part and connected to their connection with Abraham. And one thing that I've learned over the years, which has been very important, is that you, you are where you are because someone helped you get there. And as I've looked back, and we're going to now look at the various uh, seasons Uh, In my own life, I can track specific people who impacted my life and built something into my life. And I've honored them. I've moved on past them. So each of the men that put something into my life, I took what they had, have honored them and thanked them. And every time I ever see them, appreciate them and have taken it up and carried it and gone further with it than they went. And you see, that's what this is all about. It's actually about, when we talk about a new generation emerging, it's actually an intergenerational connection where what one generation has got is passed on to the next generation and the next generation, and as a body, we actually come into our destiny. If no one arises to carry what I've carried, then I really have fallen short. 
So we always have to have people who will actually take the challenge, and that is the challenge the church has now, is for a new generation to emerge that will actually go much further than the last 20 years has gone. And I believe we will do too, but you're going to have to work hard to get as far as we got, <laughs> as you'll see when we outline what we did. So let me just talk a little bit about our calling here. I want to share with you just some scripture, how the journey began. The journey began when I got an invitation from Bob Hamilton, who's sitting over there. And uh, Bob and Elizabeth Hamilton were part of the New Life Church, gone through major difficulties in the church was down to about 10 or 12 thousands of dollars a debt about to close down and Bob uh, and Elizabeth made a stand to bring this issue out to the open made a stand for righteousness the issue was confronted and an invitation came and he in particularly spoke to us and encouraged us to come here and uh, the Lord spoke to me then out of a scripture and the script I've been saying Lord what should we do and he said out of Acts 9 6 arise go into the city it'll be shown what you must do and uh, that's an unfolding thing he just says I'm not going to tell you it all I'm just going to give you this bit. Get up and leave where you are. Go to the next place. And when you get there, I'll tell you what you've got to do. So for all those who love to see it way ahead, that's not part of what I'm wired like. I'd only see the next step. <laughs> it's a little bit ahead. And uh, then the Lord spoke to him out of another scripture as we prayed and sought him out of Nehemiah, chapter 1, verse 3. He, took, he showed uh, uh, Nehemiah saw that the, the city of Jerusalem was in great affliction and reproach. The walls of Jerusalem were broken down. The gates burned with fire. And the Lord showed me the, uh, the church and what the church was like here. Broken down, uh, lost its authority in the spirit, had been overthrown. And when a church gets overthrown, when it loses its positioning in the spirit, then demons come in. And the last state's far worse than the first and uh, God was telling us that we're coming into a place that's broken down with lives that are broken and tremendous reproach and in Nehemiah chapter 2 Nehemiah went at night he went round the city and looked at the damage and came back and began to declare the vision and so for the first weeks that I was here I used to walk around the city every Friday night I walk right around that whole city center there looking at all the people looking at all the damage looking and feeling in the spirit what the place was like and, so, and thinking and, and asking God to show me the things that he wanted me to do and uh, and of course as we uh, as we started down the track God did a lot of things as you'll see the third scripture Lord spoke to me out is Genesis chapter 49 verse 22 through to 26 and in that verse he said Joseph is a fruitful tree planted by a well whose branches go over the wall. And there's some other things I might touch on a little bit later about that prophetic word. And, uh, but the Lord said, you're going to be a well of water, a well of life. You'll, be, you'll have a well of life within this place, a well of the Holy Ghost. And he said, you'll be a fruitful tree, but you'll never be contained within this place, never contained within a movement, never contained by, or boxed up in any way. And this was the beginning of God's planting in the church uh, something in the fabric, the DNA, the makeup of the church that we would always break out of what we were contained in and go beyond it. That's why the church has got such a passion for the mission field. It's because it's, in the, it's, it's what God wired in right at the very beginning. Joseph, a fruitful tree planted by a well. So he told us there'd always be a Holy Ghost river here that we would be fruitful, but we would never be contained. We'd never be able to be contained in this place. In fact, the day you try and contain me here is the day God will send me out. So we can't contain what we've got to actually embrace what God calls us to do. God calls us to be big, to be generous, to be a blessing to the city, a blessing to the region, a blessing to the nation, and a blessing to nations of the earth. That is the call that's wired into the whole fabric of the church. So when you, when you resonate to that, when you begin to embrace that, you begin to align yourself with what God has called us to do. When you become connected to God and begin to embrace the life of the Holy Ghost and love the anointing, love the presence, love the power of God, want the power of God, you are are aligning with some of the DNA that's in this church. When you get a passion for souls to be one, for people to be healed who have got broken hearts, for people to be set free and restored, you're starting to align with what God has put in this place. All of these scriptures speak about the things that God was about to do. So we came up here and all I, I didn't know anything. In fact, most of you know more than I knew when I came. That puts a big responsibility because though much has been given, much is expected. And you know more than I have in you, and you're in a church that's got more in it than we ever had. We didn't have any. I had two things going for me. I had, number one, I had a gift of prophetic utterance. I had a, a gift of prophecy over my life and had a teaching gift. And uh, so I took them up here, and I thought, well, I don't know what to do. I'll teach the Word of God and pre preach up a fire. Oh, the third thing I could do is play an accordion. So we, we brought that up too. And uh, so we got stuck in. Uh, most of the music wasn't in the church part. It was actually in warfare to push against spirit powers and to shout against the powers of darkness because I realized if I didn't get a breakthrough in the spirit, we, we would die here like everyone else. 
People, the first minister that came to me said, oh, you'll never last here more than six months. You're just a bright burning thing. You'll burn out within six months. I said, we'll see. We'll see. It's been a long six months. <laughs> so we came up here and Bruce and Sharon came up here with their kids. And Duncan came up as a single man and lived in the church building. We had the St. Albans Theater way down there. And you know St. Albans Theater? Well, that's St. Albans Theater, the place they store all the clothes in, which if you go in there, you see a blue carpet. That was the, the I went in there, wondered what I'd struck. It was, it was, there was a religious spirit. It was dead. It was, everyone was sad. And, and it was just, I, I never struck anything. I wasn't used to that kind of thing. So we just thought, well, we'll just be ourselves. So we bought music and noise and sound. And then we started to, and I remember standing there in that place, just like I felt, yes, as I stood in this place yesterday, I felt the same thing. I looked at the wars. I thought, wow, this place is too small for us. And, I, and I'm telling you now, this is too small for us. Far too small for us. Far too small for God. God's a big God. And so we, we, got, we got in there and over, we just began to preach. I remember some Sunday nights I had two people and I preached a storm and prophesied over both of them. And, uh, and uh, Bruce came up and he traveled backwards and forwards for a while. And so he racked up the music. And, dr- and Duncan in those days could play a trumpet. His, li- his lips had gone soft since then. And, uh, so, and uh, so he would come up and uh, he would be trumpeting the sound. A loud blast would come out, and, uh, and so away it went, and then God began to move. And amazing, the various things that God did, it was quite, it was, I never knew it. I thought, well, the Lord spoke to me this. this is what, now, this is why I can tell you it goes in decades. The Lord said, I want you to put away every message you've ever preached. I want you to cut and separate everything off, and I want you to start again. And he said, I'm going to teach you some new things you've never learned before. I want you to position yourself where you're not living out of your past uh, experiences or successes. You're now dependent and living off me. And I want to bring you into a whole new realm. Woo! So yes to God, you never know where that'll go, do you? So we started out. Well, we started out and started having these meetings. Well, goodness me, you have no idea. We had a coffee bar going there, and Glenda LeBar came up, and uh, she wasn't LeBar then. She was uh, uh, Miss, Miss Glenda then, and she came up, and she volunteered her time to look after the coffee bar, and we had others looking after this coffee bar, and it was <laughs> losing money, so she served and worked and labored without any wages whatsoever, and, and it was just a miracle that it all survived till the lease ran out. But uh, we had some very, very wild times. The church suddenly had a move of God. Well, it broke out. Now, we would have meetings, and they'd just be quiet meetings, not even as noisy as this. This is really tame, really. And, uh, and then what would happen was suddenly the power of God would come, and demons would start to manifest, and people would scream. So at 11.30 at night, we'd have people screaming. We'd play the music louder. That's why we needed the trumpet, and the, because we wanted to drown out the screams, because next door we had brethren, and they would sort of, we, on, on Monday morning as we went out, they'd look at us. What goes on in that church over there? We've got the name the Wildlife Center. And uh, there were screams and shouts. I remember one of the meetings here, a guy fell on the ground. It, we, we laid hands on him. He began to manifest and he began punching out and, uh, and he fell on the ground. He looked like a snake, went halfway down, kicked all the chairs out of the way. And everyone's, ooh, people used to come to the show. It's true. They would come to the show and it was a show. It was wonderful. It was absolutely wonderful. I loved it. I had this, I thought, oh God, we are made for this. And, and so we would have this altar calls. I remember there being one night and someone hit the head or something. I, I get down off the platform. I've got blood and snot and stuff on me. I thought, I never had that happen to me in Danny, but this is a definitely a new experience. And uh, we had one guy leapt out of the car and ran off down the road as soon as he saw where he was going. We had the neighbors go crook. We had all kinds of things happen. I remember in church one day, I'm preaching this wonderful message, and this young boy jumps up and runs out, and his mother goes out to chase after him, and he leaps on her and begins to throttle her right in the entrance to the sanctuary. And, uh, and she broke free, and he ran off down the road, and, uh, and Jim and Roger ran after him in the car, and, uh, and uh, he went around the block, and they found him there under a tree, and he's growling arr, arr, like a dog. And, uh, and, and, and Jim said, keep the car running. He leapt out, grabbed the boy, put him in the back of the car, and, and clawed the demons out of him. And, of course, the neighbors are looking through the window. They die one, one, one. And so I'm preaching my message sort of, Half of me's there with a message, the rest is, what's going on around the place, you know? And then I see three police cars, lights flashing up the side, whoosh, 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 
You know, I'm thinking, I want to be out there where the action is. <laughs> and uh, and uh, he got there. And of course, Germany had a handle. He had a police background. So he said, it's all right, just a domestic dispute. We've got it all under control here, you know. You're all right, officers. And uh, so we, we had these wild things. We had gang members turn up. And the whole, the whole group of mongrel mob turned up. We had the, the leader of the mongrel mob up in, uh, in uh, Auckland came down, and he got saved in one of our meetings. He had tattoos all over his face. And this offended all the brethren people who were there. They, they were very upset by the unsavory element that were coming into the church. They weren't nice sort of people. Well, they weren't too. Uh, this guy, we had to hide him out because the gang was after him. <laughs> so he shared a, bed with, a bedroom with David. And David's sort of trying to get up conversation. He said, he said to him, oh, have you ever been out turkey shooting? I said, I've shot me a few turkeys in my time. <laughs> so we got him. We had all of these kind of things happening. We find, and we had the game. Anyway, I'm in there preaching, and I see the black cloud around the back of the church there, and we had that box. See that box there? You look around there, you see a box down there. It's got a, it's got a lock on it now. It didn't used to have a lock on it. And, uh, and, and one day I'm preaching there. And I stopped the preaching, catch them, they've got the offering box. And the gang had grabbed the box and done a runner for it. So we don't use that anymore. We, we make it up here right now. <laughs> Get it out the side. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, there's another thing, too. This guy had a nice motorbike. And someone comes and says, man, that's a nice motorbike. Can I have a ride on it? He said, yeah, 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 yeah. And he, and he hopped on the motorbike, and he's never been since. since. <laughs> the bike vanished and everything. Oh, we had many things happen there. So there was all kinds of stuff. So we, we uh, but we, I only knew out of, a, out, of a, out of a family church just have a lot of fun. And we had a lot of fun. We had picnics. We had all kinds of stuff. And Jim had this Mori Minor car. It, had, it was a weird sort of thing. This was the church car. And we've come up a little bit. They've got a nice holder now. But in those days, we had a Mori Minor that only had three seats. It had a front seat and then a back back seat, and so Bob and I would sit in the back, and, and Jim would drive this thing down the front. I can still remember f- fleeing down the road there, chasing something or after. We hit the bump there, uh, and, and, and the thing just took off. And uh, It was just an amazing season, though, where God was cracking open something in the Spirit. We had people get saved week after week after week, and uh, it, was a, it was a glorious time. Uh, the gangs came and then the gangs went, but that was all just part of the phase of disturbing the spirit world. When we came in here, the gangs uh, occupied almost all of that upper end of, uh, of St. Auburn, of, of uh, Heratonga Street. You wouldn't even go up that end of town. And then not long after we had a breakthrough and we got some of them saved, the police made a crackdown and the whole of that end of town just changed. So of course, those of you here now, it's all a lovely area, but it wasn't when we arrived. It was just dark, oppressive. The place was oppressive. And uh, about two years after we uh, were here, there was a financial crash. The, the works closed, uh, and uh, t- two lots of works closed, Wakatu, Tamona, and there was an oppression over the whole place. People were leaving the place. We lost up to 50 people just almost in one hit there. With couldn't get jobs out of employment. It was just a bleak. And we went up to Mata Peak, and we prayed together as a body of people, and we began to speak that God would bring investment from around the world into Hawke's Bay and into Hastings, and that this area would not be a place where people would run away from, but a place where people would want to come and want to live, and that it would prosper. And I can remember, Ian, you remember that? We're up there on that mountaintop there praying in tongues and speaking. We went around. We did all kinds of prophetic sort of stuff around the city and around the town. We prayed against things. We did everything we knew to do, which wasn't much, but we did it. And, uh, and uh, God did some amazing, amazing things. We also pioneered a whole heap of things. Uh, we just, everything we did was new for the city. There was no one else doing anything we did. So we always did something that now most of the things that people are doing in churches, we, we were the ones who did it first. And uh, it was just amazing. So we started off men's breakfast. Well, we had these great men's breakfasts down there, men singing and praying and standing together. And uh, out of that, there was a tremendous move among the guys. Uh, we had uh, put on, a, a, with, under Bob's inspiration, we put on a, a breakfast for the mayor and celebrated the mayor coming into office and spoken to the mayor, to the council, to the city. Uh, we, Bob's helped me set up uh, uh, Heroes, because hero is a bad word, but it's only because the gays have taken a hold of it. And, uh, but really, we had these uh, heroes conventions, which were conventions to stir men to be heroes in the faith 
heroes in their home, heroes in their marriage. And we went around, I suppose, about half a dozen, we must have about eight, six or eight of these things. Tremendous move of God, delivering men and getting them to stand up. It was all over there. Everywhere we went, people were impacted by it. It was the beginnings of our stretching out into the nation. It was the beginnings of having a national vision, of having an influence that went beyond here into the nation. And then just when we're about to go to Auckland, of course, the homosexuals uh, brought out this gay parade and called it Heroes, and it so defiled the use of the name that we, we, we had to just stop for a year. And about that time, Promise Keepers came in, and so we deferred. And I've continued to speak at Promise Keepers uh, year after year ever since. We had uh, women's uh, conferences. We had major women's conferences here. We had every kind of it. We had Ed Cole. Dr. Ed Cole came. We had a great men's conference. And uh, people got saved. Was it Ivan? Did you get Ivan Lawson got saved at that? I'm the only one, and he's still here. And uh, we, it was wonderful to see what God could do. But everything we did was new. They had never done it before. Uh, we uh, sent missions team out. We had uh, Jim took a team off to, uh, to Tonga. And uh, we, had, uh, we did some stuff over in Tonga, built a building over in Tonga. We had, by the time the church had got to 150, 50 people had been to the mission field. That's within two years of being here. 50 people had, uh, had vision, faith put into them. And I didn't know much. Then I said, well, I reckon you can, you can do it. You can do it. You know? And uh, it was the other when you just don't know anything else. You believe you can do it. You know? This is the zeal of youth, I think. And, uh, but anyway, they did do it too. They went out. And, and, and so there were teams went out to Tonga. Teams went out to the Cook Islands. We had a whole team go over to the Cook Islands. Joy was over there. Joy took a team to the Cook Islands. And women, some of the women went over to the Cook Islands. It was a heap of fun over there. All kinds of things happened. All these religious demons would break out and there'd be deliverance, all kinds of things. We had, uh, I remember we had, we had unusual sort of things. We had a lot of family events. Uh, I remember we had, a, um, we had a Guy Fox, and I love Guy Fox. I still love Guy Fox. still love crackers, and I still make my own. And, uh, but anyway, we had this Guy Fox. Well, the first year was fine. We had this Guy Fox, and there, was only, there were only about 40 or 50 of us there. We went around to Rogers uh, and Jenny Galbraith's place. We had a great barbecue, and let off some crackers. It was wonderful. Next year, I said, oh, it's Guy Fox. Come on, we're going to go around to Rogers, not realizing we're now 150. So 100 and 150 people turned up all with crackers. And you can't believe we had this thing go. There were crackers like you have never seen. We're all trapped in this yard. We set fire to the tree. It was just a glorious time. One of the best Guy Foxes we've ever, ever had. We put on a Christmas party for, for people who, are, who had no uh, place to go. Uh, we got the fire engine. I remember this one lady was 83. And she said, oh, I'm not into Christmas. But she came. And, uh, and we had lollies for a lolly scramble. She said, I'm not into lolly scrambles. But when I threw the lollies, she grabbed them and ran. And she got I saw. So there it is, 83-year-old who'd forgotten how to have fun in life on the ground with all the other young ones because there was just a breakthrough that life is for living, for having fun. You've got to learn to live life. You're not all serious, you know. Enjoy the life. Enjoy what God is doing. So we, we had many laughs uh, about what God was doing. All kinds of things happened. We had, I remember Uncle Tar got the shock of his life. He's this, had a, we had home fellowship groups, we call them then. Had these home fellowship groups. And then what happened was uh, uh, we were finishing up the coffee bar. So some of them decided they were going to kidnap everyone and have a grand finale. So they hired a bus and they got dressed up in terror outfits. You'd never get away with this today. In fact, most of the stuff we did, you'd never get away with today at all. And uh, so we got the, uh, we, they, they, they came into this, uh, into one of the, the, the home group meetings and Uncle Tar is just uh, standing there and he's praying like this and these guys come in with balaclavas and water pistols and look at machine guns and just kidnapped him. He's, oh, 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 and he's going out like this. He didn't even realize it wasn't real. You know, he's sort of away there in prayer and, and uh, so half of them weren't sure what was going on but all of them got on the bus. When they got on the bus and realized, oh, it's a gag, you know, because the bus filled with about all the church, you know, about 50 people. <laughs> We went down to the coffee bar and had a grand slam finish. So fun and laughter was a, a major part of what we did. And also just the presence of God touching lives. It was a season when God just touched many people. The Lord uh, not only did a lot of work and deliverance. We, when we came here, we needed healing in our own lives. We said, God, give us some keys that would heal the brokenhearted. Many people came not just because of the preaching or the music or the church. They came because God was moving. Because something was happening that hadn't happened in this place for a long time. And that is the Spirit of God was healing the brokenhearted. He was saving people and delivering people. And so the first wave of the Spirit that came in was about healing broken hearts, connecting people to God, delivering them from their bondages. And really that's in our DNA. <clears throat> if you look at uh, what I do in the world, everywhere I go, and actually with... Uh, uh, you look at what happens in the, in the church ministries that go out, actually the thing that happens is deliverance, bringing a revelation of God, 
healing brokenhearted people because it's in the DNA. It's what God built in our life when we came here. And every team, every team that ever goes out, demons manifest. It's part of who we are, just to bring a breakthrough. So we brought a breakthrough, and people didn't really like it too much, but didn't worry us too much. We still did it anyway. <laughs> we, I remember we had a con- Easter convention here. We had Frank Houston here, a healing evangelist. And, and the healing evangelist rang up the night before he was due to arrive, saying, I'm sick. So I said, well, can't, well, we've got everyone in the bay pumped up for you to be here as a healing evangelist. I can't really advertise. Sorry, cancelled, sick. I said, just doesn't fit. So I said, you come, we'll pray. So he came and he had a whole bag full of pills and he's trying to keep himself going. Often the hardest one is to heal yourself. You know, you can get everyone else here, but your own healing is another thing. And uh, anyway, he came. Well, we had this great breakthrough. God just moved powerfully in the church. We had uh, literally dozens and dozens of people saved and healed. And he got so excited by the meetings that he, carried, yeah, he requested to stay on for another week. And we had meetings every night and just lots and lots of people impacted. But during that time, it was really a season of prophetic teaching and impartation. It was leading up to some new things. God then wanted to, we'd grown out of the uh, school down there. We got into the high school. We made so much noise there. You could hear us. You think this is, quite, you think this is loud. You don't know anything about loud. You know, this isn't really, you know, and if I could have my way, I'd have it not louder, but <laughs> like the feel the music. But we had this coming. You could hear us a whole block in every direction. You could hear a block. And people would just come in like a magnet. They come in off the street, and uh, the girls' high school was known as the place to come. It was wild, and uh, it was great. Then we realized we needed some kind of building, and uh, Jocelyn Mason spotted this one. We'd look. We worked out where we needed to be. She spotted this one, and uh, as a result of that, uh, we stood together. I really want to honor those who did that because it took commitment. The banks wouldn't lend us any money unless we backed it up. So Bruce and, and Bob and Jim and myself and Roger put our houses in behind it to guarantee that we believed that what we were buying here, we could make it work. And we only had 150 people, we had no money whatsoever, and we borrowed 320000 to buy this building. And it was, of course, empty shell. There was absolutely nothing in it uh, except we had the building. We didn't even pay it all off. We owed money on it. And, uh, and God helped us miraculously uh, under the leadership of Jim with the building to actually put everything in place and pay it off as we went. Of course, today now, the whole facility is paid off. We actually have a $2 million asset totally paid off. Great thing. But there was a huge sacrifice. It took about two years to do it. It's amazing. But it was God providing for us and also making a message of the bigness of the work and his heart and desire for us to go beyond and into nations. So we, we built the building. The next phase really was, we, was the connecting to COC. We connected to COC with Clark Taylor. And uh, he made an impact of, uh, because his whole vision for touching the nation, his vision for building men of faith, for the miraculous, we connected there because we felt God saying, you must go to the harvest. You must go out into the harvest in a greater way. And so as a result of connecting to Clark, we became uh, part of COC. I became the chairman for the, for the movement in New Zealand. And, uh, but that was a phase where God was giving us a glimpse of what could happen in a nation. We never fulfilled all of that vision for a variety of reasons. But uh, nevertheless, the vision never changed, that God wanted us to have a heart for the nation. And so we had our season in COC. Uh, God began to show me how to weave in words and knowledge, began to flow in the spirit in a whole new dimension. So we added to the deliverance and prophetic flow, words and knowledge and healing, which are now part of the church's legacy, really, to move in all of these areas. And uh, this church has got an anointing to move in those kind of things. And it's part of your legacy if you'll take hold of it and identify and draw on that grace that's on our lives. And uh, so we did that. We began to start to move out into the church planting. We planted some men out into the nation. And uh, we sent Jim, after the building would be finished here, into Ukraine. He went up into Ukraine. God gave him a supernatural connection to a young man. He went to that young man's house. There were another group of young people there. They're all in the, about this age group, about 18 uh, kind of age group. God gave him a word about what they're going to do. He prophesied over them, then began to go back and help them. That church today is 15,000 people. The leader is now the leader of the Pentecostal churches in Ukraine. They have planted over 40 churches. They have got a Bible school of 600 in it now using resources that came from here that got it all started. So the seeds that were planted were just immense, and it's just a huge harvest. 
uh, together with church in uh, Israel and, and other places over there. Tremendous work of God was done during that time. It's just amazing what God did. We also planted uh, into our own nation. We planted in Hamilton. Bruce and Sharon went up into Hamilton to plant a work there. It's a great loss to us to lose them. It's a great transition time. And uh, Bob and Elizabeth went down, and they went to uh, Christchurch to plant down there. Again, just it was a huge uh, transition time for us to go into church planting, to make changes like this. It was quite a big sacrifice to, to send people out. We had Roger and Jenny went to Wanganui. And uh, we had a season there, not only with planting churches in our nation, but planting churches in the nations. And uh, we paid a huge price during that time. Almost every year we had uh, accidental deaths. Uh, Roger, when he planted his church the night before they started the first meeting, his son was killed. And we went through, a, I personally went through, enjoyed it too, and I know other leaders did it. Great grief realizing it was just, it was in the blood of people that everything was done. And that was a tremendous cost to us to do this for that season, uh, personally and, and corporately. But God has been faithful, and uh, some of the works really grew and have developed, some have not, but that's okay. We did what we needed to do at that time and that season. We had a, it was a great season. Then God began to do something fresh. That's our first decade. Second decade was launched again with a wave of the Spirit. I felt that there was a need now for a changing in, in the whole uh, move of the Spirit. So I began to prepare myself for change, and we brought Jill Austin in from overseas, and she came in and did some meetings here. And right here in this place, the heavens open up. We had open visions. We had angelic visitation. The, the move, which is now called the Toronto move, we had it at least a year to, to, to 18 months ahead of Toronto here. And it just was a catalyst for the next decade to about to happen. As a result of that move, uh, what happened was the COC movement of churches got empowered. There was an anointing went out. Thousands of people were impacted through that. Already by this time, we'd touched thousands in other nations. But now God was saying, I want some changes to take place. When you look back, you can see the changes. When you're going through them, you don't see it all. You just have a lot of pain and struggle. And you've got to keep your eyes centered on God to see where it's all going. And what God was doing in that season was he brought a river into the church to uncover and to realign the church. And the uh, result was we had a year and a half where there was exposure of sin, exposure of every kind of thing you could ever imagine over a year and a half. It was an extremely painful situation. So while they were laughing in Australia, we were going through considerable difficulty here in New Zealand. And uh, it, there was upheaval, there was resistance, there was opposition from every front of, by religious spirits against the move of God. There was no understanding of it. And it was just a very, very difficult season. But out of it was birthed the identity of who we are, our vision statement, our values. Out of it birthed a defining of who we are as a church. And so some of the aspects of who we are now as a church were defined out of that, and uh, we have begun to pursue those very strongly ever since then. We felt the Lord wanted to also talk about structure. We started to look at the whole areas of, of structure, and I'll just touch on that in a moment. So this is the next wave, the next season that we had. We looked at structure. We looked at cells. We worked with cells, worked with various kinds of structures, trying to find out how God wanted to shape the church to contain new wine, and not to be caught up with the extremes that took place with it. And uh, so it just took a little bit of time. We looked through the area of cells, the purpose-driven church, looked through G12, and then I, I'm starting to see now just some ways that God wants us uniquely to build the church here. And uh, it just takes time to do that. You can't import something someone did somewhere else and bring it here. So I think when we started here, we were in the, the young child phase, just having a go, trying what we could, and we started to bring forth fruit. Then we went through a pruning to bring forth more fruit and to develop what I call the young man stage where you've started to get a victory over the devil and you've got a lot of energy and grunt to do some things. But uh, it just has been a, a season of transition. During that season, of course, there's been an explosion of missions. Just to give you an idea, uh, since then, and the, the missions, the uh, development that we've had has always been taking the, the, the power and word of God into nations. So just get, get, get a list of this. Uh, we've, taken, we've had teams go. We've got uh, people up doing an orphan home in China. We've had Bill and Glenda just over there. Both of them have done over 100 trips into China. Heaps of people went up to China as a first door into missions. But since then, we've had teams go into these places. We've had them go into uh, Singapore, Borneo, Malaysia, Philippines, Indonesia, Burma, Cambodia, USA, Canada, Fiji, Uganda, South Africa, China, Taiwan. And teams from this church have gone out not once but many times and impacted thousands upon thousands upon thousands of lives. Sometimes in here we don't see that, that God takes what we have. You see, 
the team, I couldn't have gone unless you stood to allow me to go and supported me in going. These other teams couldn't have done that unless you, you supported them as well. Last year, of course, we did a Uganda outreach and have raised over $120,000 to go in there. Shortly, we'll be picking up responsibility for 50 orphans and uh, developing some microfinance businesses over there and helping with a training center being formed there. So God has continued to work and touched thousands upon thousands of people. At one stage when we were in COC, this church accounted for one-third of all overseas missions activity of the movement. We had a bumper year. I think we had 20 teams go out. And uh, when, when Jim was over there and they said, what's the churches in the movement doing? And they got around, finally around to him and he told them they wouldn't believe him initially. He was able to list them all off. Just the influence we've had in nations because we're Joseph, a fruitful tree by a well whose branches go over the wall. We have to. If we stay here and just stay in our own area, then we'll always be contained and we'll never come forth. So church has been extremely generous. But now, so that's the, that's the two decades. But now we have a, another phase beginning. And I believe it's the much fruit phase. In Ephesians 4.11, it tells us this. It tells us God has given uh, various ministries, apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. I want you to just bear with me. Just give me another five to seven minutes. I want to share with you something about the next phase. Do I know all that will happen? No. All I know is you just take the step and you do what you know to do next. Let me just share with you some things that you need to understand about the future. There have been two distinct waves of God, two decades where God has done some things. Each began with God speaking and moving supernaturally, and each did a work that produced fruit. Now we're about to enter another phase. And I don't understand all of it. Let me just show you from Scripture just what clearly it must involve. In Ephesians 4.11 says, God has given some apostles, some prophets, some pastors, evangelists, and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Now, in the 50s, there was a move of healing evangelists. God restored healing evangelists to the church. In the 60s, uh, there was a restoration of pastors. There was a strong pastoral movement right through the nation. Still remnants of it to today. The church is very pastoral. Then there came a season of teaching, and everywhere you went, they were doing teaching things, Bible schools, teaching catechisms, da-da-da-da. It was just like, so the pastoral teacher thing just swamped the church in New Zealand and literally emasculated it. And then in the, uh, around about the 80s, you see, now you start to look, you see, at our church, and you realize that we, start, we, we, were, we were catching on to things in the Spirit before they actually manifested on widespread thing in the body of Christ. And so we began with a prophetic flow, prophetic move. Now, in the, in the 80s, there was a strong move to restore prophets. There were prophetic schools all over the place. Everything was on about prophets and prophetic people. But it actually got sabotaged, and it went to extremes, and it never accomplished what God wanted it to accomplish. And uh, then, of course, in this last decade, uh, last decade, we've been hearing about the apostolic move, restoration of apostles. The, prof the prophets draw us near to God and confront the things in our life which are out of line with God. The apostles, though, give us the mandate God has for the church. So evangelists are near the people and gather people to Christ. The pastors shepherd them, pull them into the flock and build them in. The teachers lay foundations. Prophets inspire them to come near to God. But the apostles give mandate why we're here and what we're to do. And so God is speaking to the church not about more pastoral care. He's speaking to the church about apostolic mandate and what the church that Jesus is raising is called upon to do for him. I've always considered the church not to be my church, but to be my entrustment from God. Something you steward until he says it's time to change. And so with the apostolic movement, you notice where that all leads. It leads, uh, it says, for the perfecting of the saints for the work of ministry. So I believe that we're going to see at least two things happen. I don't know how it'll all happen. Number one, we're going to see the emphasis of fivefold ministries, not just doing their own thing, but the apostle prophets starting to work together to pull the church near God and to get it focused on what God wanted to do. And that means extending the kingdom into the community. The second thing is you notice that the work of the fivefold ministry is for the people. The next big move is the people's move. The next big wave of the Spirit that will come will be on the church, for the church to do the works of Jesus. Now, you've got to think, if that's going to be so... Well, it says it very clearly. If you, you only got to watch. You don't even have to be smart. Oh, 
evangelists, pastors, teachers, apostles, prophets. Who's next? Us. What is required of us? Well, a lot of things required of us, and I won't give it all to you now, but I'll give you a little bit of it. You know, it says for the perfecting, that word means to literally furnish, to join together, to heal that what's broken, and to bring into its proper function. God is wanting you to understand. He doesn't just want you to do your own thing. He wants you to become restored inside, connected to a body, fitted into your proper place, and functioning both in the church and in the community like God called us to function. Notice here the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. That work of ministry, now get this, the work of ministry you are called to do. We're not called to have my ministry. We're called to fulfill the work Jesus gave this church to do. And that individualism will have to go in the next decade. That was always the problem in the other decades. It's all about what God wants to do through a body of people. So the work of ministry, it means literally those who work serving people. It means those who prepare and present food and nourishment to others. It means serving the king. It means uh, literally those who by God's command manifest and extend his kingdom. So the next move is about people serving, about having something to give to others, about manifesting the life and the nature and the character of the kingdom. That's the next move. Whether you and I are part of it depends on the choices we make. If we'll hear the voice of the Spirit, what he's saying to the church, and begin to let God change us and shift us in our thinking. And so I see that there's a whole lot of shifting that's going to take place in mindsets. And that leads us that God is wanting to bring forth a new generation. Now, let me just finish with the thoughts on a new generation because people get wound up. If you're old, you think of a new generation. Oh my God, I'm lost. You know, uh, uh, I'm done. Why is he going to retire now? Listen, you retire when you die. Up till then, you're in full-time service. All that happens is you change in what you do. Now, right, so when the Bible's talking about a new generation, I wanted to find very clearly what it's talking about. Here it is. It's what it's talking about. A new generation or the next generation. When the Bible's talking about the next generation or a new generation arising, I want you to understand it means two things. Number one, it means young people mentored to take responsibility to be sons and to build the house. It means literally the next generation of young ones arising who take up the baton and they are sons. They continue with the same spirit, the same DNA to build the house and extend the vision of the church and carry the baton for the next generation. So they've got to take the baton. They've got to carry the power of God. They carry the life of God. They've got to actually take into the... And to do that, they've got to be mentored and helped into it. So it does mean one aspect means young people. Hence, we've got to make room for children and young people to be raised and cultivated in carrying the life and power of the kingdom. The second thing when the Bible's talking about next generation, it's meaning this. This is the one you'll like. It means people young and old. Three generations, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, embracing and fulfilling what God is doing in this hour. It means people of the same DNA working as a community with a common vision and purpose and apostolic direction. The Bible says David served his generation by the will of God. So when it's talking about his generation, who did it mean? It meant the granddads and the nanas and the mums, and the dads, and the youth, and the kids. He served his generation. And so when the Bible's talking about the next generation, it's talking about the church taking on a mindset that we are called to bring the kingdom of God into this community to extend his life, his DNA, into the community to actually touch people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and to bring his power to people who have never experienced. I believe the church is about to have a wave like it's never seen before. I don't know what the time frame for all of that is, but I do know that for it to happen, we have to change how we think and how we're aligned, and we have to embrace the call of God that's on our lives. Every transition has a move of the Spirit and has a shift in mentality. And most people only see the move of the Spirit, either take it or leave it, but what God calls on us to do is look past it and see what is he requiring of me? What does the Lord require of me? Every person in the church is called to do something to extend the kingdom of God as part of a community. The days of individualism, God's calling to an end. He's calling us to flow as a body, to flow as a team, 
to recognize and esteem one another, to recognize the gifts on one another, to not be envious of younger ones for the youth and passion, but realize they need wisdom and experience. A lot of people here have got wisdom and experience you can impart to young ones. They need what you have, but you'll never put it into them sitting around waiting for them to come. You have to be far more proactive. I never, ever sat in an office waiting for the phone to ring or someone to come. That is not how the kingdom works. The kingdom works like this. God puts his call on your life and he sends you to people who are ready to receive what you have. You've got to have a heart for people. You've got to have a desire to reach them with the word of God. You've got to have a desire to build a relationship. I look at Dot and Lynn. They're starting to touch the young people now, starting to help them, start to train them, start to prepare the next generation. Why? Because they love them and they're involved with them. Everything that God's doing in this hour will involve relationship. And so the things that block relationship, God will challenge in our life. God's calling us to become a strong family with a missions orientation and a mandate to carry his power, not only to this generation, but to the one that will come. I have in my heart this scripture from God, a very, very clear one, where David wrote, and he said, God, forsake me not when my hair is gray until I've demonstrated your power to this generation and the next one to come. We have yet to see the best days of Bay City. And the best days of Bay City will involve people just like you who make a decision. I'm going to be part of what God is doing. I'll find my role and my part. I want us to give the Lord a great clap for all that he's done, for the great things he's done, the great changes he's made. Why don't we stand and honor Jesus Christ, who is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. Then we're going to eat some cake. Hallelujah. Jesus, we thank you. Thousands upon thousands of people who have been saved, who have been born into the kingdom of God because men and women in this place paid a price. I thank you for thousands of people yet to be touched by the life that will flow like a mighty river out of this place. Father, I thank you for men and women rising up to become the next generation. Old people, young people, middle-aged people. Lord, there's a place for everyone who will say yes to you and yes to your call to reach nations for Christ. Say yes to your call to belong. Say yes to your call to covenant relationship. Yes to your call to change. My God, let the best days come upon us quickly. Lord, release your power to Bay City for the next decade of its life and ministry. Amen. Come on, let's just finish with a great song. I want that one. I like my, that great and mighty, mate. I love that one. I want great and mighty because I reckon it honors God who is great and mighty. He is the King of Kings. Church, we wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for all of you, if it wasn't for various ones who've risen and carried the leadership baton for a season. But friend, every one of us, it's Jesus Christ we give the honor to. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, who believes in man, who imparts his spirit into man. Who, did, who speaks into the lives of man. Oh, hallelujah. We want to thank you, Jesus.